Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Hello and welcome to episode 20. Michael Bright and I are going to be talking today about donor gift accounting. It is that time of year again where nonprofits are doing what they can to bring in some money before the end of the year. And Michael gets a lot of questions about this. So, Michael, let's start off by defining what is the donor gift accounting overall, and then let's jump into what is an unrestricted gift. Yeah, Matt, today I wanted to talk about um, gifting and the gifts that my nonprofits are receiving because I get a lot of questions. And definitely this is a busy time of year for for our nonprofits getting a lot of different uh, donations and just how to properly record those donations um, and just have a little bit of discussion about those types of donations. Fantastic. Okay, so so let's break down those different kinds of of donations what or gifts. So what is the unrestricted gift or a unrestricted gift? An unrestricted gift means that it comes with no donor restrictions. So the nonprofit can use it for any purpose um, that is in line with, with their mission statement. So it could be used for operations, um, anything in general. So uh, unrestricted means just that. There are no donor restrictions with it. So who sets that up, though? I'm going to get uh, kind of down and dirty with you here. Is that something, do do the charities specifically ask for unrestricted gifts? Because that sure does seem to allow them to uh, have a little bit more autonomy over the money coming in. Yeah, definitely. The, you know, the, the nonprofits have management and overhead that they need to support as well. So those unrestricted gifts are, are really valuable to helping them move their mission forward. So when they ask donors for um, an unrestricted gift, meaning that that donor does not have any requirements around that gift and they can use it for whatever purpose that they uh, feel is appropriate. Well, then let's uh, do a complete 180 and talk about what a restricted gift is. Sure, absolutely. So there's different types of restricted gifts. So um, restricted gifts are always restricted by the donor, meaning that the nonprofit themselves can't determine that it's restricted. It has to be the donor that restricts it. And it can be restricted as a temporary restriction, which means that it's either time or purpose restricted or it could be permanently restricted, which means that the principle of the gift, or a lot of times it's considered an endowment, that the principle would be held in perpetuity, and then the income could either further be restricted to be used for purpose, or it could be used for operations. And I can give you a quick example of one of my clients had um, an endowment that was further restricted, the income was further restricted. So they had an aging building and they had to keep up with a lot of the maintenance. So what they did was they did fundraising for a building endowment and that building endowment was for um, repairs and maintenance on, on the building and 
potential future replacement of that building. So again, the principal couldn't be used, but any of the income that was uh, generated off of that would be used for building maintenance purposes. Are there instances which a restricted gift should not be accepted? (laughs) That's a great question. And Um, I actually wish that my clients would ask me more often, should we be accepting this gift? Because a lot of times we'll find out later that they've accepted a gift that they shouldn't. So starting out, a nonprofit should have a good um, policy on gift acceptance. And so making sure that they know what they're getting into. I had one nonprofit that had accepted gifts of land. They had two pieces of property. One of the properties was considered like a landlocked island. It was on top of a mountain and there was no way to to get to this property. So it was pretty much didn't have any value. And it became a legal nightmare for for the nonprofit because a they had to pay the property taxes on it. And then they were trying to get out of it and trying to gift it to to the county or or to get rid of it. And it took a lot of attorney fees and it that gift ended up costing them money. They also accepted a piece of property in uh, the desert of Arizona, where basically there was a parcel that was never going to have water, never going to have electricity, and and pretty much was had no value. And so a, a nonprofit needs to be careful about gifts that they're accepting. Um, another example that we just ran across at um, one of our clients that um, is up in, in the Santa Rosa area. We've just been affected by some significant fires. And so there's a lot of money coming in, um, to help fire victims. And this nonprofit felt like, oh, well, we would like to get involved. And they got a a large sum of money, but that money was restricted to go directly to fire victims, either with supplies, food, um, or assistance in, in rebuilding. And to dispense those funds, that takes overhead. So now this this nonprofit has committed to dispensing these funds, but they, they don't have the resources um, to be able to completely uh, to disperse those funds. And so now they're taking up their, their resources and they can't use any of those monies to cover their overhead. Wow. The the land thing sounds to me like something that you would probably deal with more often than not. And, and we're not going to point fingers at who's responsible, but I do think it's very vital, obviously, that somebody like you is is talked about or talked to about those different kinds of gifts. Now, what about deferral of gifts? What, help me with how that works with restricted gifts. Yes. Yeah, so deferred uh, revenue as it relates to to restricted gifts is is kind of a concept that um, has gone away a long time ago but we still run into it from time to time so very rarely would a nonprofit actually have a deferred revenue as it relates to 
a restricted gift. Um, some examples of some deferred revenue that an organization might have is um, if they're selling tickets for an event at a future time, then that revenue from those tickets would be deferred. And also if they have, um, if they're unsure if they can actually meet the purpose, meaning that they're accepting a restricted gift and maybe it's not in exact um, in alignment with their current operations, but maybe they're gonna be able to shift and use those gifts, but they're not positive. So if they're, they're unsure and they've received the funds, then that would be a deferred revenue. Um, we've ran into some cases where we've taken over um, audits from previous audit firms that didn't really understand the accounting um, for nonprofits. And so we'll see these big deferrals because it was um, time restricted, meaning it was restricted to the next year, and they're treating it as deferred revenue instead of recognizing it as a temporarily restricted um, that would be released into unrestricted when that time purpose had been met. Now, you're talking about time and just, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. How, how should and when should a gift be recorded? So a gift should be recorded either when it's granted or when it's received. So if a, a nonprofit is notified that they are going to be a, re a recipient of a gift, um, then that should be recorded as a receivable at the time that they're notified and they understand the details and, and can record it that. Um, other times they don't know that the gift's coming in. And so then when the gift is received, then they would record it. There are um, some conditional gifts. So that means that the nonprofit has to perform certain measures before they can receive the gift. Um, so in conditional grants or gifts, then those would not be recorded until they have been earned or met or the conditions have been met. From an accounting side on the other end, what needs to happen when a gift is recorded? Do, do the recipients need to get anything or help us understand that paper trail a little bit better, if you don't mind? Yeah, so if uh, a nonprofit receives a gift of more than $250, either in kind or in cash, then they do need to issue a, a letter um, or receipt stating that they've received that gift um, that's valued over $250. Gotcha. Now, there are different types of gifts. You talked a little bit about uh, the land gifts, the two magnificent land gifts that one of the charities that you work with. With, uh, received. What other kinds of gifts are there? Yeah, so the most common gift that is received is in cash, but there are other what we call in-kind gifts, and this could be um, such things as as food or or property, as we had talked about in the land. Um, another really common gift, especially here in the Silicon Valley, is um, stock donations. So. Um, what will happen is an individual will gift stock um, and typically they're appreciated stock so they get the uh, write-off on their tax return and the um, the nonprofit who receives that stock 
we'll record it as fair market value on the date of receipt. But one thing with the stock donations that um, we want to stress to our nonprofits is that they really should be liquidating those stocks as soon as possible, because oftentimes they aren't in alignment with the um, investment policy that the nonprofit has already established. And it's really just a better idea to liquidate and then invest them. Um, and, and it makes it easier to do the accounting for it as well. So so liquidate them and put them in line with the investment policy that the charity is adhering to already. Exactly. Okay. Well, now that's interesting because there are uh, something that has been in the news rather recently is a non-traditional type of, of asset or resource, uh, which is Bitcoin. Help, help us understand how Bitcoin can play a part or should it play a part when it comes to gifts? Yeah, this this has been a really hot topic for us. I've actually received two calls this week in regards to Bitcoin. Um, obviously, Bitcoin is new and it is a um, it is an asset um, and it has a lot of volatility around it. But I tell my my nonprofits that they should accept those Bitcoin um, donations and that they have a market. And just like the, the stock donations, they should be liquidating them as soon as possible um, and converting those into cash. And then they can turn those into um, investments that follow their policies. I would never recommend that uh, one of our nonprofits holds Bitcoin as a investment just because it is so volatile and and we don't want them to take those sorts of risks with donors' money. Now, where I live, uh, car and boat donations are something advertised often. I'm assuming it's the same thing where you are. How should a charity handle that in cars specifically? You know, cars and boats are are a little tricky. Um, I definitely recommend if if the organization can use the vehicle in their operations, um, maybe they they ask a dealership for a van to to transport uh, kids. Um, certainly, th- those are very easy to account for, and um, and if as long as that's in line with their operational needs, then they should take those types of gifts. When they're looking at um, car donations and boat donations, where that car or boat is going to be sold, and then they're going to retain the cash. Typically, I don't recommend that our nonprofits do that without having a third party involved, just because there's so much um, overhead and paperwork that goes into it. Um, And so they're really going to want to consult with with a good third party that will handle this process for them. Um, But be aware that that should be set up before any type of car donation or boat donations taken in and that the third parties certainly charge um, high fees for that. And so there's very good likelihood that maybe they'll only get uh, 50% of the cash that's collected from that car donation. Um, And one one other thing that, that I like to note is that 
you know, most of the time when when cars and boats are being donated, the the donee um, is looking to to get the value out of it as a write off on their tax returns. And there's been some changes to the tax law that um, requires them to only get the the value that the vehicle had sold for. So if you do use one of the third party uh, liquidators and say that they just send everything to auction, um, a donor might be providing you a, a vehicle that they say is worth $10,000 and maybe it sells at auction for $3,800 and then that donor is going to come back and be really upset with the organization saying, hey, I only get a donation of $3,800 now when I gave you this $10,000 vehicle, I would have been better off selling it on my own and giving you the cash, which a lot of times might be the recommended route. When you were talking about a direct donation of a new van or something like that to transport children, do uh, what is written off? Is it is there a, a fixed negotiation when it comes to the, the MSRP or how does that work? So um, the dealership would get the donation of the full value of the vehicle and the uh, recipient, the nonprofit receiving that um, donation would would get the value of the vehicle as a contribution and they would record that on their books as an asset and then depreciate it over the useful life, which is typically five years. All right. What are we missing? Anything else on donor gift accounting we need to know before the end of the year? No, I think that we've really uh, covered all the questions that I've been getting in uh, recent times with my clients asking about uh, gift donations. So I appreciate the time today. Absolutely. And thank you very much for answering those questions. It's very, very timely. And if you would like to get answers like this directly to your listening device, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Debit this credit that right below where you're looking right now. That way, also, when uh, the firm comes out with a new podcast, it will be directly delivered to you, and it makes it easier for you to share it with friends and family. And with that, thank you very, very much, Michael. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too, Matt. And we'll see you all for Episode 21 very soon.